0: Thank you for listening to the Desert Road Community Church podcast. If you would like to support Desert Road Community Church, go to www.desertroad.church and select the online giving tab. Now, let's join Pastor Dave Prosser as he gives this week's message. So as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts, let me ask you first of all, who is the greatest... Fill in the blank. Who's the greatest... Baseball player ever Babe Ruth Ruth. Hank Aaron Aaron. Mickey Mantle boy some (laughs) old-timers how about The greatest football player Who said Brady yeah, I, I knew someone was going to say Brady. I should have. I actually no, that's okay, Jeff. I was actually thought I should break it down and said, uh, "You're yeah, right, right." I, I thought I should break that down and say, "Who's the greatest football player as a quarterback?" Who? Brady. Uh, how about a running back? Let's see. All you with gray hair, Jim Brown. Oh man. I, I, you know, when well, I was a little kid in high school, and I loved football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah, in the eighth grade I had size 12 shoes. Anyway, uh, man, I'd, and we lived in Ohio, so we watched the Cleveland Browns play, right? And, and I loved watching Jim Brown, running back. He'd run, you know, 10 yards, get tackled by, look like 20 people instead of three. Oh, he could barely get up off the ground, barely get back to the huddle and break another one the next play. It was amazing, Jim Brown. Uh, okay, how about the, the greatest golfer? Arnie Palmer. How about Mo Norman? Have you heard of Mo Norman? Look him up. How about the greatest And and I'm not in this category, okay? The greatest preacher. Billy, Billy, I knew, see, I knew Billy Graham was going to be right there, right there. (laughs) Uh, Okay, uh, I'll pay you later. (laughs) All right, so here we are in the book of Acts. We've been working through it, getting to chapter 8. And from here on through the book of Acts, we're going to see the life and ministry of this guy, Paul, Paul. You know, if you think of Paul, and you could say he was probably, not probably, he was the greatest theologian ever. He was the greatest missionary ever. He was the greatest evangelist ever. He was the greatest pastor ever. And then I think uh, you lump all that together, you say he may be, other than Jesus Christ while he was on earth, the greatest man ever. But he was also public enemy number one to Christians, to Christians. He persecuted Christians. You may know Paul was born Saul and he's referred to many times as Saul of Tarsus uh, because he was born in that city, Tarsus. He was born the same year as Jesus in case you want that little bit of trivia. He was born the same year as Jesus and he was born to a prominent family that had been awarded Roman citizenship. So this Paul was a Roman. He grew up as other young men in that time, and he learned a trade to carry on the rest of his life. And his trade that he learned in this city of Tarsus, which was a very trading metropolitan type city, he learned to be a tent maker. And we'll see as we work our way through the rest of the book of Acts how that comes in and plays a pretty prominent role in his life as a tent maker. At the age of 13, he was sent away to seminary. I was a little older (laughs) when I went to seminary. Uh, At 13, I was still chasing Leslie. Uh, But he was sent away at, at age 13 to seminary, and he was taught under the leading theologian of the day, and that was Gamaliel. You remember Gamaliel, we saw him earlier in the book of Acts when he stood up at the Sanhedrin and he spoke uh, in regards to Peter and John and how to deal with Peter and John at that particular time. So Paul studied under him for seven years uh, and he was referred to as the most educated man in all of Jerusalem, Paul. Well, this leads us to our first glimpse Of Paul in the book of Acts. Uh, We saw a little bit of that last week as we saw Stephen being uh, arrested and then stoned to death. Let's pick it up. I want to just see, re-look at that in chapter 7, verse 58. We read this, they dragged him, talking about Stephen, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. See, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was a part of that ruling council that had found Stephen guilty and took him out to be stoned. And then the very next verse, the first verse in, uh, in chapter 8, and Saul approved of their killing him. Of course, you getting this? At this point in his life, he was still public enemy number one to Christians. He was still the persecutor of Christians. So he's sure. He heard what the message was given in front of the Sanhedrin, and so he approved of it. But there's something. I think if you look at this and look at Paul, and Paul knew that this execution was unjust. He knew that the execution was against the law of Moses. It's almost like, okay, the crowd's saying this. I'm going to agree with it. See, but Paul saw at this time, he was an expert in the law. He knew that this was not just. But he stood there and approved the stoning of Stephen. So that's our introduction to this man, Paul. Stephen became what's known as the first martyr of our faith. And look at the results of his death. Look at what the results of his death were in chapter 8 here. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. I want you to remember that, that point right there because we're going to see how that works here in just a minute. But, so the church was growing. We saw that in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, how that early church, by the power and infilling of the Holy Spirit, was exploding and growing. But now, in the midst of this persecution, it was being scattered. Is that a bad thing? We'll see. The verse continues. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You know, as I read this story about Stephen and and his courage to speak the gospel. I thought about missionaries that we've read about over the years. I think I want to put, yeah, I want to put that up for a second. Uh, Maybe you've heard stories, if you've been around the church for a while, of of a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Have you heard that name? You know that story of Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott grew up in uh, Portland, Oregon, and he graduated Wheaton College Uh, That's pretty good college. Our son graduated Wheaton College, so we heard about Jim Elliott when we were there on campus a few times. Uh, On February 2nd of 1952, Jim boarded a ship for an 18-day trip from San Pedro, California to Quito, Ecuador. He and his missionary partner, Peter Fleming, uh, spent a year in Quito learning Spanish. They were both speaking Spanish well enough that uh, they moved to the mission field in Kiwachu. They spent three years there. But the team had uh, formed a, really had a desire to reach the Aka Indians. That was really laid on their heart and they wanted to reach this group of Indians uh, in Ecuador. Now the Aka, Aka Indians were known as this savage tribe. Uh, They had killed several workers in the oil company uh, that was drilling close to their territory. Uh, Jim knew that really the only way to stop the Akas from killing was to share Jesus with them and change their heart. So Jim and the other four Ecuadorian uh, missionaries began a plan and they planned a way to show the Akas that they were friendly. Hey, come on, we're, we're friendly. Yeah, we might not be like you, but we're, we're friendly. So Nate Saint, and maybe you know that name, he was a missionary pilot, and he would come, He came up with a way to lower a bucket filled with supplies to the Aka Indians that were on the ground. And his thinking was that this would be a perfect way to, to win the trust of the Akas by showing that they were willing to give something to them and maybe dispel some of the danger that they might be in ahead for them. So after many months of doing this, the Akas even sent a gift back up in the bucket to the plane uh, to Nate Saint. So Jim and the others uh, felt the time had come to meet the Akas face to face. So the missionaries were flown in one at a time, and dropped off on the Akka beach. After four days, an Akka man and two women sort of appeared. (laughs) It wasn't easy for them to understand each other because the missionaries at this time really only knew a few Akka phrases. They didn't have that language down for sure yet. So they shared a meal with them. Uh, Nate Saint even took the man up in the plane for a ride. You know, trying to be friendly with them. For the next two days, the missionaries waited for other Aka Indians to arrive. Finally, on day six, two Aka women, sort of just came out of the jungle. They were in a boat, and they came and just appeared there all of a sudden, if you will. And and Jim and Pete uh, excitedly jumped into the river, and they waded out to greet them. But as they were they got closer, they could see that these women (laughs) uh, weren't the friendliest people in the world. And as they turned around, they heard this noise, and as they turned around, they saw this group of Acha, in Indian warriors with spears raised, ready to throw. And within seconds, the Acha warriors threw their spears, killing all of the missionaries, killing all of the missionaries. (laughs) All of those missionaries, oops sorry. Ed McCulley, Roger Yoderin, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott is known for this saying, maybe you've heard this saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's something You've heard many times if you've been around a church and heard the story of Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, stayed behind. She couldn't make that trip. What is amazing is her desire to get back to the Aka Indians. She went back and eventually was welcomed by them. The gospel was spread and the Aka Indians' life was changed because of coming to know Jesus. You know, in the Christian Missionary Alliance, in the very beginning of the Christian Missionary Alliance, we've been known for sending missionaries around the world. Hopefully, again, you'll pick up that Alliance life and read what's going on around the world today with our missionaries. I read about, recently, about a couple, Paul and Priscilla Johnson. Paul and Priscilla Johnson. Uh, Paul was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he, he graduated from St. Paul Bible College. St. Paul Bible College today is now called, anybody? Anybody? Crown, Crown College, Crown College. Uh, one of four colleges that we own. Simpson? Simpson, Simpson there's a Simpson grad. Uh, Simpson, Crown, Nyack. Nyack, Toccoa, Toccoa Falls, Toccoa Falls and a couple of seminaries. So we, as a denomination, we've got some schools also. Uh, Paul and Priscilla met at Crown College. Uh, They were married June 23rd, 23rd, 1944, so they have been married a few years longer than what you guys had been. Uh, Paul was ordained in 1947, and after two years of language school, which is pretty typical for the Alliance in sending missionaries out, uh, Paul and Priscilla sailed off to Thailand. On April 18, 1952, Paul and Priscilla's missionary ministry was cut short by bandits that raided the church during a regular Friday evening service, and both husband and wife were killed. Priscilla died almost immediately. Paul was taken to a hospital, and he died five days later, You know, as I think about these two missionary stories and many others who have given their life, I wonder if Saul of Tarsus, Paul, ever remembered Stephen as his life was changed, as his life went on, as his ministry went on. I wonder if he ever thought back to that moment watching Stephen being stoned to death. You see, the Aukas, as a result of these events that followed the death of the missionaries and the work of Elizabeth Elliot, came to know Jesus. And their lives were changed. The CMA has had a large, growing impact in Thailand as a result of the work of Paul and Priscilla Johnson. I have, I was reading a devotion this morning by A.W. Tozer. Anybody heard of A.W. Tozer? <laughs> he's got a few books he's written. This was his devotion that I read this morning as I'm thinking about this passage of Scripture. Here's what he said. 10,000 enemies cannot, cannot stop a Christian, cannot even slow him down if he meets them in the attitude of complete trust trust in God. They will become to him like the atmosphere that resists the airplane, but which the plane's designer knew how to take advantage of the resistance and actually lifts the plane aloft and holds holds it there for a journey of 2,000 miles. What would have been an enemy to the plane becomes a helpful servant to aid in its way. The main thing is this, He writes, the main thing is this, we should never blame anyone or anything for our defeats. I'm gonna stop there for just a second because there's more to read. I have felt that all my life. And it irks me (laughs) in our world today how people blame another group of people because they aren't achieving. You see, we should never blame anyone or anything for our defeats. Can I tell you, no one has handed me anything in life. You know, no one said, Oh, Dave, you're this wonderful football player. Why don't you come full ride scholarship and play here? And while you're at it, when you get finished with that, we'll pay for you to go to seminary. Why don't you do that? No, I pulled myself up by the bootstraps, if I can use that saying. I joined the military after high school, four years in the Air Force. I came out, nobody handed me a job. I went and found a job and worked. I went to school it, and during the day worked at night we should never blame anyone or anything for our defeats. He continues, no matter how evil their intentions may be, they are altogether unable to harm us until we begin to blame them and use them as excuses to our own unbelief. Then they become potent to do us injury. Nevertheless, we are to blame and not they. Why am I not advancing in life? Why am I not advancing in this world? Why don't I have what that person has? Don't blame them. Look in a mirror. He didn't say that, I did. He continues, if this should seem like a bit of theorizing, remember that always the greatest Christians have come out of hard times. Did you read about, did you hear the story of Jim Elliot and the missionaries? Paul and Priscilla Johnson? You see that? Always the greatest Christians have come out of hard times and tough situations. Tribulations actually worked for their spiritual perfection in that they taught them to trust not in themselves, but in the Lord who raised the dead. They learned that the enemy could not block their progress unless they surrendered to the urgings of the flesh. It would have been very easy for Jim Elliott and those missionaries to got back on that airplane and left Ecuador. And slowly they learned to stop complaining and start praising. It's that simple. It works, A.W. Tozer says. That devotion I read this morning, I thought, That's speaking exactly to what was going on with this early church, with the stoning of Stephen, with now the appearance of Saul, with what was going on in these missionaries that we've already looked at. And as a result of Stephen's stoning, the gospel spread because the the church was dispersed. Jim Elliott and the other missionaries... The gospel spread throughout Ecuador because of their sacrifice. The Johnsons' sacrifice enabled the spreading of the gospel through thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Thailand and the work of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Maybe we're never going to be persecuted like that. Maybe we're never going to be put to a test like that. Can I tell you, the gospel is going to continue to spread no matter what happens because Satan's not going to win, is he? He's not going to win because the power of Jesus Christ is going to overcome that, and the gospel will continue to spread. You know, no matter whatever the government might say and say, you know, churches better shut down. You know, everybody's got to. uh, uh, Yep, everybody's got to wear a mask. You know, you can only have five people in your church at a time. I know churches are still operating like that today, still operating by online. I mean, that's okay. It's like we prayed earlier through Zoom and other avenues. The gospel continued to spread in the midst of a pandemic. God's still at work in a powerful way. We're going to continue as we continue through Acts now and see Paul's life be radically changed. huh? And the gospel going like crazy, like wildfire. Lord Jesus, use us, even though we may not feel the power of persecution like these missionaries in our life right this moment. But Lord, use us wherever we are to be instruments of spreading the gospel and the truth of Jesus. Thank you for loving us and allowing us to serve with you in this world where you have us right now. Use us to that end, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.